Well, it's lovely to join together again tonight. Uh, if we've not met, Stuart Holman is my name, part of the ministry team here. And today we are going to be talking about prayer, which won't surprise you after our Bible reading that we just had. Yeah, sometimes our prayers can feel kind of insipid, uh, kind of weak and feeble, as though we're really very sorry for interrupting God and for bothering Him, uh, and we don't really expect Him to pay any attention or to do anything as a result of our prayer. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is not like that, is it? It's this big, booming prayer. It is rich with bold requests, and he's expecting life-changing outcomes. Now, by the end of our time this afternoon, my prayer is that all of us will be ready to pray prayers just like that for the people that we love so much. So if you don't already, please open your Bibles uh, to Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, we are beginning at verse 15. This prayer that we're looking at initially seems very dense, uh, kind of overwhelming. It, it's a lot like that section that came before it last week, right? Verses 3 through 14, in which uh, Paul blessed God for all of the blessings that he had given the Ephesians and us in Christ. Chosen, redeemed, forgiven, adopted, enlightened, sealed with the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's like a whole theology textbook crammed into 11 verses right there. And now, immediately after that, Paul prays for the Ephesians. And this is the passage that we're looking at now. It seems overwhelming, but I want to suggest that it's all built around one simple idea. And simple is good, right? You see, in essence, Paul prays that the Ephesians will know the truth about their situation. That is, all of the big ideas that he's just spoken about in verses 3 through 14, Paul prays that the Ephesians will know them, both the gifts and the giver. And so this idea of knowing is the key idea that this prayer is built around. Let me explain how I arrived at that. The complexity of these verses, verses 15 through 19 in particular, is that it's all one long sentence in the original language. It's complex because it's long, it's got lots of clauses and then sub-clauses and a few more details packed around that. And what I want to suggest is if we could park the detail and all of the sub-clauses and all of the elaboration over here, don't forget it because it's very important, right? But we are left with the heart of God. Paul's prayer here. So stripping it all back, we end up with something that I think looks a bit like this. For this reason, I keep asking that God may give you his spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing him. Secondly, enlightenment, that you may know the hope to which he's called you. And thirdly, that you would know his great power for us who believe. All of those other important details over there fill out the significance of what Paul is praying. But if we boil it all down, we'll end up with something where Paul asks that the Ephesians will know God, know their hope, and know God's great power. So this prayer is all about knowing everything that Paul's just spoken about in verses 3 through 14 last week, which kind of makes sense of Verse 15 there, right at the very beginning. 
for this reason is how it starts. That is, on the back of all of those spiritual blessings and because of all of those spiritual blessings, Paul prays that the Ephesians would know the giver of those blessings and that they would know where they lead into the future and how that changes the present right now. And this knowing, it's not a theoretical kind of knowing. It's a personal and relational knowing. Uh, It's head and heart knowing, knowing intimately and knowing lovingly. Uh, Whenever we see that word knowing here, it's like we know our best friend. It's like we know our spouse. Now, uh, my dog Joey has a favourite plastic toy that he loves to chew. Uh, I know a fair bit about this toy because I bought it for him. Uh, It's kind of reddish colour. It's about half the size now of what it used to be. But it tastes like bacon. Well, that's what it said in the shop, right, when I bought it. Um, But I don't know this toy like Joey knows this toy. He knows it in the Bible sense, right? He really knows what it tastes like. He knows what it smells like. He knows what it's like when you chomp down hard on it and the subtleties of its flavours and textures. There's not a millimetre of that toy that he does not know intimately. He has a relationship with the toy that I can only tell you about. I really don't know it like he does. He lives that relationship. And this is the kind of knowing that Paul is praying for the Ephesians. God is not a plastic toy. God is relational and loving in ways that far surpass our ability as human beings to comprehend, far beyond our capacities. Knowing, in this sense, and loving are completely tied together. And so Paul's prayer is that we will know God like this, right? And that we will know and experience our hope like this. And that we will know his power now. So with that in mind, let's have a look at uh, verse 17, where Paul kind of really launches the heart of his prayer. He prays uh, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul's praying here that the Ephesians will know God. He prays, though, do you notice, that the Holy Spirit will do his work of making us wise and revealing God. Now, in John 16, you may remember that Jesus told his disciples that when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. You see, the Spirit gives us wisdom and guides us into all truth. It's wisdom that comes from God, and it's passed on to us for our guidance, for our learning, for our knowing, in fact, for our living well in this world. And so Paul prays that the Spirit would do this for the Ephesians. Paul also prays that the Spirit would do his job of revelation for the Ephesians and in the Ephesians. That is, 
that he would reveal God to them uh, in, in, in ways that only he can do that. You see, God is not discoverable. We don't find God through our own efforts. Instead, he is revealed and he makes himself known to us. And it is the Holy Spirit within us who actually enables us to recognize and to relate to God as he is revealed. And so by his wisdom and by his revelation, we know and embrace God. And remember that knowing, right? It's profoundly relational. Now, if you're anything like me, I'm thinking, okay, that's great. How? How do you actually do this? Well, here's, here's something from one of the books that I recommended uh, last week in, in our news note. Um, it's a quote from Jim Packer. How can we turn our knowledge about God into knowledge of God? The rule for doing this is simple but demanding. It is that we turn each truth that we learn about God into matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. You see, we might have a fair bit of knowledge about God, like I know about Joey's toy. I know a fair bit about it. But how do we turn that knowledge about God into knowledge of God? The knowing, the relationship, the intimacy, going to take some time. It is simple, but it is demanding. You see, we learn to talk to God prayerfully and thoughtfully about what he reveals of himself in his word. The Christian meditation, it's not about emptying your mind until you embrace the nothingness. Christian meditation is about filling your mind with the goodness of God's word, including noticing everything that's there, noticing all of the details, tasting the flavors, as it were, asking questions of the text, wondering about this and deliberating about that and pondering it. And you realize the author of this text is right with me. I'm talking with the author about what is written. And it's that kind of personal relationship. I love praying the Bible back to God and thanking him for whatever it is he's shown me. I love praising God for new things I've noticed from his word or even from what I've seen around me. I love asking God for the things he's promised me in his word. I love talking to God about my friends, what's going on with them, what's going on with us, how God could be at work in their life. And you know, sometimes I just sit and I enjoy company with God. Just doing nothing. Being with God. It's a very special thing. And all along I realize that's actually the substance of a living relationship in which both God and I are deeply engaged. This is what we were made for as Christian people. This is why we exist. So verse 17, John, uh, sorry, Paul longs that the Ephesians will truly know God. And the very next verse, verse 18, builds upon that. You see, Paul prays that the Ephesians, and we, I guess by extension, will know the hope into which God has called us. So verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. 
When Paul prays that the Ephesians will know the hope into which God has called them, he's talking about hope as a noun. Okay, it's not like the verb, like, you know, I hope I'll have a nice day tomorrow. That's the verb. Hope as a noun is real, substantial. It is a future situation. For Christians, this is our destiny. This is what awaits us beyond the present. Okay? What is the hope? Okay, what's there? What is that situation? It is every blessing that God has gifted us, just as Paul has been speaking about in verses 3 through 14. You want to know what your hope is? Read verses 3 through 14 again. This hope, this future situation, is something that we have been called into, if you notice it there. In other words, God's the one doing the calling. He's drawing, he's dragging us unfailingly to this hope, into the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. The idea of receiving an inheritance, I think is it's a very helpful metaphor. Like an inheritance, you don't do anything to deserve it, do you? You don't earn an inheritance. It's a gift that comes to you entirely on account of the giver. Um, they decided it would be yours. And in the fullness of time, it does come to you. For reasons entirely outside of you, you get to enjoy everything that is gifted you in this inheritance. But our inheritance in Christ is not a bunch of old furniture and some photo albums and maybe a share portfolio. It's a situation, it's a reality that we will live in where we share the glory of Jesus Christ, united with him, bringing glory to God. Okay? And when we know this, really know it, it changes us. Okay? I am no longer a pauper living out the remains of a short life before destruction. Suddenly, I am God's child, and I am sharing everything that belongs to Jesus Christ, including his holiness, and his eternal rule over renewed creation. And that truth about our future absolutely transforms our present in so many ways, which is exactly what Paul prays next for the Ephesians. Okay, Having prayed that they would truly know God and know the hope that they are will about to inherit, he prays that they will also know his power for them in the present day. So uh, verse 18 Praise that they may know their hope to 19 and know the hope and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. God wants to change our lives right now, in the present, in anticipation of that future His power that he's going to use to transform us right now is exactly the same power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead and seat him in glory at his right hand in the heavenly places. God's mighty strength to do that in our lives is unlimited. And it's ready now to change us in the present. God wants to get to work already in preparation for that future. And so when Paul prays that the Ephesians will know his power, which is 
for them and us, he intends that we will experience it. Okay, So knowing and experience is pretty close in meaning when we're talking about it biblically. God wants us to experience his power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He wants us to experience that now in our lives but, and to have its effect. And here's the thing. We think of power as something, if I possess power, that means I can use that power to get something for me. The power of God here is actually the power to transform us and to change us so that we begin to live now our future resurrection. And in this way, we get to start enjoying our inheritance early. How good is that? What an incredible prayer to pray, don't you think? I cannot imagine a higher ambition, anything better to enjoy right now. Right? We are praying that what is done in heaven might invade earth in our lives now. We are praying that things might be on earth as they are in heaven. Right? I'm saying bring it on. How good for God to be at work in us this way in our lives now. Okay, I'm thinking by now we've got a bit of a handle on this prayer. Um, it's an incredible prayer. Hopefully it doesn't seem so daunting a thing to pray now. We know that it asks to know God, to know our hope, and to know God's power. And I cannot think of a better way to pray for the people I love than to pray this prayer or something very much like it. You know, so often I, I pray for my kids. I love my kids. I pray for them. And I pray for their exams. And I pray that they'll have lovely friends. And I pray that, you know, they'll recover quickly from setbacks or whatever it is, right? We're all familiar with these kind of prayers because they're the prayers that we mostly pray. They're good prayers to pray. But if we really love someone, we would want to pray the best that we could possibly pray for them. Not merely good and nice things, but we would want to pray the best. And I want to suggest that there is a connection between the extent of our love for a person and what we pray for them. The greater our love, the bigger our prayer. Paul's prayer here has got to be one of the biggest prayers ever might be prayed for a person. And I want to suggest that we should let this prayer form and shape our own prayers and, and actually train us in praying. Um, see it like a, a personal trainer or if you don't have a great personal trainer, you know those machines at the gym, they're all kind of shiny and they're in long rows. I've seen them, don't know a lot about it. No, it's not true. The machines physically guide us through the exercise, Right? Because the exercise has to be done in a certain way because of the constraints of the machine. The biceps curl has to be done just so with a precise movement and the machine governs what the movement is going to be. You can't cheat the machine, right? And everyone can see how little I'm lifting, but it's there. In a similar way, praying Paul's prayer here trains me to pray for other people. It might feel clunky and very unfamiliar at first, but I do the exercise. I might feel weak and awkward, but I complete the exercise. And after a while, I really start to inhabit this prayer. I, I make it my own and I get stronger and I do it again. 
And by this kind of praying, I'm taught how to pray, even the very act of praying for other people. So my encouragement for us all here this afternoon is that we would pray this prayer for someone, or maybe for a group of people. And I'm asking you now, who will you pray for? You don't have to call it out, but I actually want you to think about who it is that you will pray for this prayer. Because I'm suggesting that we pray this prayer every day for a week for the person that you've just thought of. Got someone in mind there? Good. Because I'm going to check in with you next week. I'm going to check in and see how it went for you. I would love to hear from people who say, I gave it a crack. And this is how it's gone. This is what I've learned. And maybe you say, wow, this is what God did. That's my encouragement for us today. Let's get this prayer and use it like a bit of gym equipment and see how much stronger our prayer lives become. Let's try it out now. Will you pray with me? Our great and loving God, we thank you so much for all of the blessings that you have given to us in the Lord Jesus. We pray that with your Holy Spirit's help, you would enable us to know you truly, to know you well with greater richness. We ask our great God that we might know the hope into which you have called us. We ask too that your spirit would help us even now be changed by that hope. We long, Lord God, that your power in us might prepare us for the future. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.